podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday, January 6th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, whatever it is, your geoblock from Liberty Shield can help you access while keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPL599 to get your first month for one quid. $6.99 thereafter, but no contract, no long-term commitment. Instant download to your devices. Get using straight away. LibertyShield.com, EPL599 at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, I'm back from the dead. I'm a little bit better today. So we have news. But first, Chelsea 2, Tottenham 0 in the first leg of the EFL Cup semi-final last night. Spurs very much the architects of their own downfall comedic defending just all over the place Jaffa Tenganga who I do like completely to blame for the first goal a poor pass to Emerson Royale left it short Marcus Alonso nips in Tenganga doesn't commit to the press or track the runner just kind of stands in no man's land Alonso plays the ball by him very easily and Havertz finishes in decent fashion. It's a good goal. And Chelsea deserve to be one up. From there, it's all Chelsea. And Spurs never really got out, got out of bed in this game. But on 34 minutes, Tottenham, again, calamitous defending for Chelsea's second goal. Played in by Hakim Ziyech. Tanganga comes across and doesn't seem to look at where he's heading the ball as he attempts to clear it and heads it straight off the face of Ben Davies and it deflects into his own net. It is a comedic goal, the like of which you would suggest is is almost match-fixing. It was that bad. Um, Tottenham were just really flat. I thought Kane had a stinker. I thought Son had a stinker. I didn't really feel like any Tottenham player showed up on the night. I thought Hoiberg had a terrible game. Matt Doherty as a left wing back is just never something you want to see. Lucas Moura, I thought, at least tried to make things happen. But the 3-4-3 is not working for Spurs in, in these kind of games. I do wonder if 
Tottenham would be better off going to 3-5-2, trying to get an extra body in midfield. I've always preferred Conte ball with a midfield three. I think it gives the wing-backs more freedom to get forward. I think his forward players work better at a two as well, Kane and Son. And I think they've got the players to do that. They need centre-backs. We know they need centre-backs. I saw a lot of Spurs fans saying, oh, we missed Eric Dyer. No, you didn't. It's not Eric Dyer that you missed. Because you've been calamitous in defence with Eric Dyer many times over many years. Pochettino played a back three with Dyer. It was a mess. Jose played a back three with Dyer. It didn't work. Romero is the only centre-back Spurs have who should be starting for them. Now, he's injured at the moment, but he is back in training. So hopefully he's back in the team soon. You need to buy two flanking centre-backs to go with him. You get those two in. And the likes of Tanganga and Davies, they're solid backup options. And you sell one of Sanchez and Dyer, or maybe both of them, and keep Roden. And you've got Tanganga, Roden, and Davies as you know your backup three. And they're all homegrown, so they all fit as part of the quota. But buy yourself two starting centre-backs, please. Just make it easier on yourselves. Emerson Royal is still learning how to be a wing-back. He hasn't been nearly as bad as people have made him out to be this season. But I wonder if Stephen Bergwijn could be an option there if they played a midfield three. Now, defensively, there'll be question marks over him, obviously. But going forward, he could be absolute lightning there. If you've got him and Emerson on the right, Regulon and Cessignon. And Cessignon would have started last night if he wasn't injured. But those two on the left... That's pretty strong. Heusberg, Skip, Winks, Dembele, and, and Dembele, rather, Lacelso. These are good players. Heusberg and Winks can fill that kind of sitting, dictating role. And Dembele and Lacelso can play that more progressive role. And what you need then is that roaming destroyer type that Conte has always liked to have. He had it in Kante, he had it in Vidal, he had it in Barella. Now, they can all do more than that, obviously, but off the ball, that's sort of in their role. Ollie Skip is is suited to that role. He's just not of the calibre. Right, not, not right now, anyway. So you find someone better at that role. And you've got Kane and Son up front. Moore is a good backup. You need a backup striker. But I think four signings sees this Spurs team right. Again, I've said before, I'd maybe look at replacing Hugo Lloris. His age, the fact that he's had a contract this summer, I don't know that I'd be looking to extend him. Galini's not the answer. So you might need to go and buy a starting keeper and a backup keeper. But that's neither here nor there. I think you can get those centre-backs in. Get him one in midfield. And you won't do it all in this January window. But you could get a centre-back in a midfielder in this January window. Get the other centre-back in the summer. Get the backup for Kane and address the goalkeeper, goalkeeping position in the summer. And depending on how Bergvine works, you may well have just fixed your team. Chelsea didn't play a back three last night, which was unusual under Thomas Tuchel. Instead, they went with a flat back four. Aspilicueta, Rudiger, Sarr and Alonso. Saul and Jorginho played 
as a double pivot. Saul was outstanding, the best player on the pitch. Who'd have thought that if he just got some minutes, he would show what a good player he was? It's a crazy, crazy idea that if you let good players play, they will show you what they can do. And he's been really good in his last couple of appearances. Zayich and Mount played as twin tens, and they showed how that's meant to work. Unlike the mess we've seen with Manchester United's attempt at the four box two, Chelsea perfected it last night. Just played around Spurs in midfield. And Lukaku and Havertz up front. Lukaku didn't have a particularly good game. I don't know that that's a partnership that really works as a two. I don't think there's enough pace in that front four with Zayic and Mount. But there's a lot to like about what they did last night. And like I say, Saul was outstanding. Hot Jorginho had a good game as well. But a very easy game because Spurs just didn't turn up. Um, lots of COVID. Lots and lots and lots of COVID. Pep Guardiola has COVID, as do seven players at Manchester City. There are 21 people in total at Manchester City who are isolating ahead of the FA Cup tie at Swindon on Friday. Uh, Pep and his assistant Juan Malilo were both found to have the virus on Tuesday. Sean Dyche has also been uh, diagnosed with COVID, or yeah, diagnosed, I suppose, is, is, is what it is. Uh, he will miss the FA Cup game against Huddersfield as he isolates. Neither Burnley nor Manchester City gave any indication that the Cup games are at risk of being postponed because of positive COVID uh, cases. Seven of City's first-team players are among the group of 21 isolating. Assistant coach Rodolfo Burrell has been put in charge of the Premier League leaders' trip to the county ground to face Swindon. And Burnley have, have not suggested that an outbreak has affected the club. They've had three games uh, postponed due to COVID, but all because of other clubs. Um, a total of 17 Premier League games have been postponed since the start, the start of December. It doesn't feel like that many, but that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, COVID hits City and they don't miss any league games, which is, you know, is blind luck is all it is. Uh, speaking of City, they have announced two new partnerships. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, there's something questionable about both of them. So yesterday they announced that they have a new hotel partner. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's obviously some question marks over whether or not the, the deal is real, whether or not this is just another attempt by City to flush more money in. Emirates Palace is the official luxury hotel partner. And Manchester City, the football club owned by the City Group, majority owner being the Abu Dhabi United Group, owned by the Deputy Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates, partners with the hotel, which is owned by the government of Abu Dhabi. Football in 2022 is truly a wonderful thing. And today, City have announced a new global partnership with Mazdar, which will see the Renewable Energy and Sustainable Development Company becoming an official partner 
of the club. Uh, this is another UAE project whose board of directors includes Razan Al-Mubarak, who is the sister of Manchester City chairman Khaldun Al-Mubarak. Um, yeah, Mazdar, one of these new renewable sustainable projects, is funded by M- Mubadala, a $230 billion sovereign investment fund. Khaldun Al-Mubarak, the Manchester City chairman, is the CEO and managing director of Mubudala. Well, nothing fishy about either of these, I suppose. Nothing fishy about it at all. Tottenham have come out and criticised, or well, apologised, for homophobic chanting from sections of their fans at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night. They say they work close, uh, closely with the LGBTQ plus fan group Proud Lily Whites to create a welcoming and inclusive atmosphere and environment at their club and are proud to display the progress flag in our stadium on match days. Nobody should suffer discrimination because of their sexual identity. I assume this is the same thing that has been chanted at Chelsea in their, well, by by most clubs, by, by the fans of most clubs. Uh, I assume that's what it is. Uh, more COVID. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has tested positive for COVID, as has Mario Lamina. Now, both of these were pictured in a nightclub in, I think, Dubai the other day. And they will miss their first game, uh, Gabon's first game in the African Cup of Nations. Aubameyang just cannot stay out of his own way, can he? Both the players and the head coach have tested positive. They're all asymptomatic and they're isolating in hotel rooms and awaiting PCR tests. Uh, the second game is Friday, the 14th of January. They may may well miss both of those games. Absolutely ridiculous. AFCON obviously kicks off this Sunday with Cameroon versus Burkina Faso, 4 p.m. UK, if you're interested. Uh, Manchester United have announced that Richard, Richard Arnold will replace Ed Woodward as, Manche- as the senior executive on the 1st of February. Woodward stated his intention to leave his role as executive vice chairman last spring amid the fallout from the doomed European Super League project. Arnold joined United in August of 2007 and has been the club's managing director since 2013. He will become chief executive in a change of title from Woodward. Uh, So this may well just be more of the same. This may well just be more of the same. In positive news for United, Woodward will not be staying on in a consultancy role, as had been previously mentioned, but I wouldn't put it past him to still have some sort of influence over the Glaciers moving forward. Arsenal have been fined £20,000 for failing to ensure their players conducted themselves in an orderly fashion against Manchester City. Obviously, there was a big Tantrum after Gabriel was sent off for his second yellow card. Certain players, including Granit Xhaka, had themselves a bit of a conniption. 
And um, yeah, 20 grand fine. A little slap on the wrist. 20 grand is nothing to a club like Arsenal. But hopefully their behaviour improves in the coming weeks. Danny Rose is set to leave Watford this month. Danny Rose set to leave Watford after only half a season with the club. The former Tottenham Hotspur left-back was signed as a free agent in the summer and has made nine appearances in all competitions. However, following the arrival of Hassan Kamara and with other defenders set to join this month, he is now expected to depart with space needed in the squad. Udinese defender Samir and Cass Upen midfielder Edu Kiamba are both expected to be announced in the coming days. While Besiktas defender Domagoj Vida is also a target with talks going ongoing over his possible arrival. Uh, Rose quickly fell down the pecking order under head coach Claudio Ranieri, who admitted his concerns over the fitness of the 31-year-old. Uh, the Italian said he wanted to help Rose rediscover his form, but ultimately was not able to do so with Adam Messina cementing his place as first-choice left-back, despite making several mistakes. I remember him when he played for Tottenham and when he played for the national team. I need this, Danny, said Ranieri last month. He's a champion. Well, he's not, because he's never won anything. Uh, he knows very well he's not ready enough and he has to push more. Uh, yeah, Danny Rose has been out of shape, overweight, and it's no surprise to see Watford cutting bait with him. Uh, in transfer news, Jurgen Lacadia has left Brighton for Bochum on a free. Leo Ostergaard has left Brighton for Genoa on loan. Uh, Ostergaard has done brilliantly on a couple of championship loans. Last season with Coventry, this season with Stoke. Thought he was doing really well there. Heads to Genoa now where he'll get to play top flight football. I have to say I'm a little bit surprised that they're letting him go. Because I think he could be starting for Brighton right now. Um, we'll do the gossip and then we'll take the break. And then we've got listeners' questions off the back of that. Manchester United are de determined to sign Wolverhampton Wanderers and Portugal midfielder Ruben Neves this month. Ruben Neves is one of the two types of midfielders they desperately need. If they could get Neves... And like a Basuma type, I think that would be ideal. Basuma would also be ideal for Spurs in that midfield role, the midfield role that they need to fill. I don't know whether Brighton would sell in January, but I expect he'll have a lot of suitors. Neves, I don't think Wolves will sell in January, but he's definitely someone United should be looking at. Uh, Aston Villa boss Steven Gerrard personally made a call to Phil Coutinho over a potential loan move to Aston Villa. Coutinho would be a good fit for Villa if they can get anything out of him. He's a very talented player. He's obviously had a really bad time at Barcelona um, and nothing they tried with him seemed to work, but he's obviously lit the Premier League up before. Lazio sporting director Igli Tare has opened talks with Liverpool over Divock Origi with the Reds, willing to sell the 26-year-old rather than losing him on a free in June. He's not on a free in June. Divock's contract does not run out this summer. Um, Liverpool have an option to extend his contract, so they will not be losing him on a free. 
Nico Williams and Nathaniel Phillips will also be allowed to leave Liverpool this window if the right bids come in. Makes sense. If Liverpool could sell all three of them and turn that into one good player, I think everybody should be very happy. Tariq Lamptey is seen as a key target for Tottenham, but Spurs face competition from North London rivals Arsenal for his signature and may have to wait until the summer for the, to make a move for the 50 million rated England of the 21th National. First of all, Tariq Lamptey's not worth 50 million. Secondly, with him having missed a year from a hamstring tear, I think that's one to swerve. Thirdly, Arsenal aren't going to sign a right back. They bought Tommy Asu. He's ideal for them, especially when you've got a defensive liability like Ben White at centre back. Put Tommy Asu and Gabrielli the side of him. You disguise the defensive weaknesses and you accentuate the ball playing. Uh, so I don't think Arsenal are going to be in for Lamptey. If I was looking at Spurs and saying, you know, they have to buy a right back, like I said, I'd try Bergwijn there. But if they're going to buy someone, buy Max Ahrens. Um, he'll cost half the price of that 50 million. Bayern Munich will make Usman Dembele a priority target to replace Kingsley Coleman if Coleman leaves the Alliance Arena at the end of the season. I think Coleman has been pushing for a move, so it makes sense to have a backup plan. Everton left back Luca Dina is likely to attract another Premier League club, but Newcastle is not an option. I, I don't think he wants to be in a relegation battle. Uh, West Hammer in discussions with Dina, but his weekly wage of 100,000 may prove a stumbling block for the London club. As I said yesterday, I think he'd make sense for them. They could do with a new left back and push Cresswell into a backup, a backup role. Uh, him overlapping. Ben Rama or Fornals down that left side, I think is something that would work. He's obviously an elite crosser of the ball, so that could factor in well with Antonio being good in the air and Bowen being very good at arriving at the back post. Chelsea are considering a move for Serginho Dest as an alternative for Dina. So Serginho Dest is a right back, not a left back. Uh, so I don't believe that to be true. Everton are... Everton have joined Newcastle and Arsenal in tracking Leon's 24-year-old Brazilian midfielder, Bruno Gomerich. Um He's an excellent player. I think Arsenal are the club of those three that need him the most and probably the only one that he'd have any interest in. Newcastle have been offered Samuel Umtiti on loan with a potential option to buy by Barcelona. I, I probably would avoid Umtiti, to be honest. Aston Villa have no chance of signing Joe Gomez. Everybody's known that for a while. That's not news. The Magpies are also monitoring Sven Botman, but he's turned that move down, so that's fine. Uh, Villa are interested in Bologna left-back Aaron Hickey, with the 19-year-old Scott said to be well-liked by Stephen Gerrard's coaching staff. Aaron Hickey's a very, very good player. And he took a really brave move when he went from Hearts to Bologna, he's really started to show what he can do. Scotland has become a little hub for fullbacks as well recently, which is good to see. Um, obviously, Robertson and Tierney, two of the best left backs in the Premier League. Aaron Hickey, another very, very talented player. Nathan Patterson, who's just moved to Everton, he's very, very good. And potentially the long-term Scottish right-back. He's already playing for the national team, but he could fill that role 
for a long, long time. I mean, Calvin Ramsey, another very talented right back. Now, he's been linked with Bologna. Um, so it would be interesting to see if, if they do a one Scott out, one Scott in, or if they'll try and keep Hickey and you know pair him with Ramsey on the other side. Uh, Bologna have done really well with identifying fullbacks. Don't forget that's where Tommy Yasu came from as well. Borussia Dortmund will make a decision over Erling Haaland's future in the next few weeks. West Ham have had a five, have made a five million bid to take Gabriel Barbosa on loan until December of 2023. So that's a two-year loan. Seems unlikely. Does seem unlikely. Up to 11 players are keen to leave Manchester United, having grown disillusioned with life at Old Trafford and rumours of a dressing room crisis. So somebody, I think it was Laurie, Laurie Whithall or in the Athletic, had a thing about there being 17 players at United who were unhappy with the way things were going, which is just mental. Um, Manchester United are trying... No, sorry. Yes, Manchester United are trying to sign... French defender Dan Axel Zagadou, who is available on a free transfer in the summer from Borussia Dortmund. Zagadou is super talented, and he seems to have been around for ages. He moved from PSG to Dortmund on a free when his contract at PSG ran out in 2017. He was only 18 years of age, and he'd had one of those youth contracts like from 16 to 18. Moved to Dortmund on a free. He's been at Dortmund now five years. He's only played 73 games, never more than 22 in a season. He's been plagued by injuries. This year, he's had a little bit better luck with injuries, but he's had a lot of problems as he's kind of aged and grown. He is 6'6". He's a giant of a human being. He has the potential to be a special defender. But if he can't stay fit, he's no use to anybody. That's the problem with him. If he can't stay fit, he's just not going to have the career he should have. He should have had. Um, we'll leave that there. One last thing before we go to break. You're seeing all these rumours about Newcastle. And obviously, Kieran Trippier, that deal is almost done. And I keep hearing people say, Newcastle fans say, players aren't joining us for the money. They're joining us for the project. Now, for me, a project is something that has a plan and a structure to. And I don't see any of that at Newcastle yet. I've seen no appointments to suggest that there's a real plan in place. There's any kind of project being developed there. It is very much the throwing stuff at a wall and hoping some of it sticks kind of approach. Rumours are they've already put in bids for over 20 players. That's a complete scattergun approach. That's not something you do if you've got a plan. I don't know that there's a real project at Newcastle yet. It's the same recruitment staff that have failed over the years. It's the same approaches that they've made before. They've got a bit more money now, but I don't really see much of a difference in what Newcastle are doing. It is literally just making it up as they go along. And that's a little bit of a concern. So one to keep an eye on, just how many players do they get linked with over the next couple of weeks? We'll take the break. When we come back, we've got some listeners' questions. See you in a few.
Right, welcome back. So, it is Thursday, so it is Questions Day, and uh, we've got a bunch of questions that have come in on the Discord, and it looks like we're going to start off with Flatsy really, really attempting to break my brain. Uh, question for the show. You have to buy three players out of the following as your dream signings for the club you own. You can never drop them from the starting eleven. And you have to have them over for dinner every week. Well, this is appalling straight away. What three are you taking out of Tyron Mings, Dejan the Pebble Lovren, Adam Lallana, Jordan Henderson, Granite Xhaka, Jack Grealish, Antonio Rudiger, Jordan Pickford, Danny Rose, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Harry Maguire. Oh, and Arteta is your manager and you can't sack him. This is horrendous. Um, that's woeful. That is an absolute abomination of a question. I'm going to take Grealish first and foremost. He's not nearly a £100 million player. He's a £40 million player and he'd be a good £40 million player. So I'll take him. I'll take the show pony Ronaldo because at least Grealish will create chances for him. So I'll just put those two up front. Cristiano as the nine, Grealish off him. And everybody else behind can work and do all the running for them. Uh, these are awful. I'll take Rudiger because he's the best of a bad bunch there. He's He's better than Maguire. He's better than Mings. He's much better than Lovren, who's an appalling defender. Uh, not in a fit would I take Lalana, Henderson, or Xhaka. Jordan Pickford has tiny arms, so he just rules out straight away. And Danny Rose, unfortunately. If Danny Rose was in shape, I'd probably take him out of that group. If you could get Danny Rose motivated, I'd probably take him over Cristiano. Just because I really don't like Cristiano. And at least Danny Rose just slots in at left back and he's not going to do you too much harm there. Rudiger's not great in a in a four, obviously. So I'm going to be telling Arteta we're playing a back three, son. I'm picking the team. You can stand there looking like you've got, you know, Lego hair. But I'm going to pick the team and, and you just go out and coach them. Uh, I'm going to be one of those type of really interfering. What's your man's name? Is it Massimo Solano? I'm going to be one like him. Um, so I'm going to take Rudiger and play a back three, five across the middle. Grealish off Cristiano. I'm going to try and win every game 1-0. Um, right. Isaac Gilding. I'd be interested to get your take on this. So it is the Guardian's list of one of the best 100 male footballers in the world in 2021. Right, let's go. So we've got Lewandowski, one. Messi, two. Salah, three. Benzema, four. Jorginho, five. Uh, Jorginho doesn't belong on that list. He had a good run in the knockout phases of the Champions League, and he had a very good Euros. But, I mean, his league form has not been great. He's... He's a 7 out of 10 player. Like, he's a good player. He's not a great player. 
He's certainly not been one of the five best players in the world. Uh, Messi's obviously struggled since moving to PSG for one reason or another, but he's still Messi, and he was insanely good for Barca. Lewandowski's a machine. Benzema has been incredible. Salah's the best player in the Premier League. I don't have a problem with the four of them. I wouldn't have a problem with them in any order uh, over the course of 2021. So I'm fine with that, but Jorginho doesn't belong there. Next five, Mbappe, Haaland, Cristiano, N'Golo Kante and Kevin De Bruyne. Again, N'Golo Kante doesn't really belong there. Really good run in the knockout stages of the Champions League, but let's not pretend he didn't skate through the Premier League last season. Uh, KDB, no issue with him being there. Cristiano does not belong there. He hasn't been one of the 20 best players in the world the last 12 months. Yes, he's scoring goals. He does absolutely nothing else. He's an absolute liability if he's not scoring. Haaland might be a little bit high. Mbappe is fair. Mbappe should probably be fifth ahead of Jorginho. Uh, Lukaku, Donnarumma, Neymar, Ruben, D- Ruben Diaz and Harry Kane. So Ruben Diaz is too high for starts. Harry Kane, I mean, it's it's the year. Kane had a good second half of last season. Was okay at the Euros. Scored some tap-ins. Didn't really do anything else. Don't think he belongs there because he's been dreadful since the start of this season. Uh, Neymar doesn't belong there. Donnarumma, yeah, I'm fine with him. He was good for Milan. He's been good for PSG. He was great for Italy. Lukaku was incredible for Inter, but he hasn't had a great season with Chelsea. Um, So, again, there's a few that don't belong there. Uh, 16 to 20 is Bruno Fernandes. Federico Chiesa, Joshua Kimmich, Luis Suarez, and Eduard Mendy. Kimmich should be higher. He should probably be top 10. Chiesa, I'm fine with. I would have said top 10 based on first half of the season, the Euros, but he hasn't had a great season so far this year. Uh, Bruno, I'm okay with. Didn't have a good Euros, not having a good season. That is down to Cristiano, but was sensational last season. Suarez, I'm okay with. Mendy, I'm okay with. Uh, 21 to 25, Pedri, Benucci, Sadio Mane, Giorgio Chiellini, and Phil Foden. Mane has no business being that high. Uh, Benucci and Chiellini, I'm fine with. Pedri and Foden. Pedri's barely played this season. That kid just was overplayed last year. All of last season and the Euros and the Olympics shambolic how much football he was forced into playing. No real problem there. I think Phil Foden maybe could be a little bit higher. Um, Nicolo Barella, Mason Mount, Thomas Muller, Raheem Sterling and Latura Martinez. Sterling wasn't great last season, but had a very good Euros and has been good this season. So I'm not really too pushed on that one. Martinez was great last season. He's been okay this season. Muller should be higher. Mount is fine. Barella is fine. Uh, 31 is Vinicius Jr. I think that's probably fair. Though I think in a year we'll revisit and he'll be top 15, top 20. Angel Di Maria, I think, is too high. Jan Oblak's having a bad season. Great last year, but a bad season this year. So it's probably fair enough. 34 is Trent. Trent should be much higher. Trent was great the second half of last season, has been incredible this season. Ilke Gundogan, great last season, 
not as good this season, but he's had some injuries, but he should probably be a bit higher. Manuel Neuer, he should be higher. Marco Verratti, that's about fair. Ashraf Hakimi should be higher. Youngman's son is... Uh, I don't understand how Kane can be that much higher than Son. I think they've been about even over the course of 12 months. Luka Modric is about right. Serge Gnabry, Alfonso Davies, Virgil van Dijk, Marquinhos and Bernardo Silva. So Virgil didn't play for the first eight months of the year, so I'm not sure that he deserves to be this high. Marquinhos should be a lot higher. He's been the best defender in the world over the 12 months. Bernardo Silva, I mean, he's been incredible this season, not great last season. Davies, I didn't think was outstanding last season. Don't think he's been outstanding this season. So maybe he's a bit high. Serge Gnabry might be a bit high based on 2021. If we're basing it on the year, I don't think that's right. This is a mess. Rodrigo de Paul, no, absolutely not. Kai Havertz at 47, definitely not. Antonio Rudiger at 48, I'm, I'm okay with that one. Memphis Depay at 49, definitely not. Aspilicueta at 50, definitely not. I'm, I won't go through the rest, but that's the top 50. I, I think there's a lot of questionable ones there. I'm not really sure what they've used or how they've come up with this list. But, I mean, Pierre, I mean, Hoisberg as number 100. How has he been one of the 100 best players of the last 12 months? And I like him. But there's no planet on which he's been one of the 100 best players. Julian Alvarez at 91. Like, fair enough, he's having a good time at River Plate. Still not one of the 100 best players in the world this past year. Luis Diaz at 87. He's been the best player in Portugal this season. He had a great Copa America. He had a good second half the last season. How is he only 87? Jeff Felix has not had a good year. Why is he 84th? Bobby Firmino, 80th. Really? Get him out of the top 100. Kasper Schmeichel is in this based on the FA Cup final and the Euros. But see, it's weird because Luke Shaw had a really good season last year. He's And a good Euros. He's been dreadful this season. He's 78th. Yet Harry Kane, who had not as good a Euros, a slightly better season last year, obviously, and has also been dreadful, yet he's, what, top 15? Just some bizarre inclusions here. Paul Pogba, 69th. Jack Grealish, 61st. Barely played the second half of last season. He did, he wasn't up to much. Average at the Euros, bad this season. How is he 61st on this list? Whereas Leon Goretzka was unbelievable for Bayern last season. He's been good this season. He's 64th. Joe Canseo has been much better than Grealish, both this season and last. He's 63rd. Zlatan at 56th. Are you having a laugh? This, this is a mess. It's a mess. That, that's my thoughts on it. It is a mess. Um, da -da -da -da. Right, Anderson 5-5. Five five. Be cool to have a comparison of some of the right-back options from the Transfer Committee pod versus current squad options, Nico or Connor Bradley, for example. Maybe better for an LFC pod, like an old school or scout or something. Right, so um, on Anfield Index Pro, we do a Transfer Committee pod for every transfer window. 
myself, Dan Kennett, Mo Chatra, and Gags Tandon. And this year we were looking at, you know, what what positions could Liverpool look to strengthen? So a backup right back is one that's long been on the list. Uh, we wanted a midfielder and we wanted uh, a centre forward. So the backup right backs that I had there were Rasmus Christensen, Ola Aina, Jaden Bogle, Nazur Mazraoui and Conrad Lamer. Now Lamer is more of a midfielder and we went for him in the end because the feeling was he's covering midfield as well. Can play the six, can play as a defensive eight. Um, Conrad Lamer is the player people think James Milner is. Quality on the ball, incredible work rate, good pace, versatile, good in multiple positions as opposed to just being able to fill in in multiple positions. High level of technical ability. Uh, Conrad Lamer is really good. Rasmus Christensen is a Danish right-back who was at Ajax for a little while, has been at Red Bull Salzburg for a couple of years. This is sort of his breakout season. Tall, rangy right-wing, right-back or right-wing-back. A bit like Joachim Mal that people will be aware of who had a really good Euros. A bit like uh, Hans Hattabor of Atalanta. That, that sort of player. Um, Matty Cash type if we're looking at a Premier League comparison. Uh, better technical level than Nico, far more physical than Nico or Connor Bradley, far more developed than Connor Bradley. Connor Bradley's very young. He's he's very lightweight. That's my concern with Bradley. Very, very lightweight. Nico, I just don't think, has the technical level to play at where Liverpool want to be. Um Ola Aina, he's just a solid right back. He's good defensively. He's versatile. He's bigger and stronger than both of those two. He's a better defender than Nico or Connor. He's more physical. He's obviously 25. He's more advanced. Uh, he's homegrown, which was one of the reasons I had him on the list. Jaden Bogle, really good attacking right back. Like a lot of fun to watch. Similar enough type to Max Ahrens. Came through the Derby Academy. Has played a little bit of right midfield. Um, the move to Sheffield uh, United from Derby hasn't always been brilliant for him, but he has done a lot better this season. And especially since he put these lists together, which was in, I believe, uh, the 9th of November, I put those lists together. He's actually become, I think, much more of a regular for Sheffield United. Um, but he's a level above Nico, in my view. Connor Bradley maybe could get to that level, but. Again, I do just worry about him physically. Nasser Masrawi is what I really like. He's big and rangy, strong defensive player, very good technical level. Again, similar to uh, Christensen in his build. bit more defensive than Christensen. Can play on the right side of a back three as well as that right back. Not as... He's similar enough to Tommy Asu, better on the ball, maybe not quite as good defensively, but I think Masrawi would have been, he would have been the one I'd have gone for if we were just looking at a straight right back, largely because he's on a free in the summer. Um, right, 
WGM underscore Lund. Can you rank the leagues across the world on the standard of playing numbered, but also in tiers? We obviously know the f- top five leagues, but I'm interested in your opinion on leagues like Austria, the Eredivisie, MLS, Brazil, Belgium, the English Championship, Scottish Premiership, Liga MX. Okay, I would say, of what you've mentioned there, I would put the Scottish Premiership bottom of those. Um, I don't think it's a particularly good league. I think because it's so imbalanced, like Rangers under Gerrard had, they they spent more money than every other team in the league combined in the three years Gerrard was there. Their wage bill was higher. If you take Celtic out, their wage bill was higher than every other team combined. Celtic's wage bill also higher than every other team combined bar Rangers. So there's just no real competition in the league. Now, you could look at Austria and say it's similar enough, Red Bull, Salzburg and Lask, but they don't have the massive financial advantage that Red Bull do to an extent, but Lask don't. But I think the standard of play in Austria is higher. Now, I would say it's the one just above the Scottish Premiership. Um, and I would I would put them in a tier below the rest. So I would say that's maybe tier five. I would say Belgium and the Eredivisie will be the next kind of tier moving up. So they'd be tier four. You get a lot of talent coming out of those leagues, but what happens is those players get plucked early. 21, 22, they're away and they're out. Off to Spain, Germany, France, England, Italy. They can't keep that talent at home. Great hotbeds of football. Loads of talent, but rare enough that those players stay. Some of them return home when moves abroad don't work. Some of them return home at the end of their career. Actually, speaking of that, Davy Proper, formerly of Brighton, he's just announced his retirement. 18 months left on his contract. Saw an interesting thing recently. Him and Christian Eriksen made the debut on the same day. And Davy Proper is retiring with 18 months left because he's fallen out of love with football. 18 months left on the current contract. He definitely would have gotten another contract. He could have played for five, six more years. But he's fallen out of love with the game. And Christian Eriksen is trying definitely, uh, desperately rather, to extend his career. He's been told to stop playing because of, obviously, the cardiac event he had at the Euros. He's been told not to play anymore. He wants to play. And uh, it, it, he's obviously still in love with the game. Um, right. I think the next tier moving up Tier 3, I would put the English Championship. Which is a super competitive league. Good standard of football. Always a good place to find talented players. Always a good place to find good squad players as well. So you'll get a lot of seasoned players down there who've got a bit of nous about them and just have the right mentality. I would say MLS is on the same sort of level as the championship. 
think the standard of football is about the same. Upper level from them, I would put Liga MX. I think Liga MX is really, really good. I really enjoy watching Liga MX. Um, I would put the Portuguese League in that same tier. I would put the French League in that same tier. I think I don't think League One is a, is a uh, this top five league thing doesn't sit with me. There's top there's there's four top leagues and then there's everything else. So I think League One, the Portuguese Super League, Liga MX. I would put them together. I think I might put the Turkish Super League in with that group as well in tier two. I put the Greek League into tier three. Um. I think I'd put the Argentine League and the Brazilian League in Tier 2. Uh, I'd put the Russian League in Tier 3. I think I'd put Ukraine in, in Tier 4. So I've got Tier 1. I've got England, the Premier League, Syria, La Liga, and the Bundesliga. In tier two, I'd go Argentina, Brazil, Ligon, the Portuguese League, Liga MX, and the Turkish League. That'll be tier two. Tier three, the Championship, MLS, the Greek League, and the Russian League. Now, obviously, there's outliers. There's certain players in the Portuguese league or that, that are absolutely tier one. There are certain players in, you know, in the Russian league that will be too good for the championship or the Greek league or MLS. But overall, I'm looking at overall quality. The Russian league could potentially be tier two, but there's, there's a lot of average players, a lot of bang average players, a lot of talent, but a lot of bang average players just kind of drag the thing down. Uh, tier four, I would go Belgium, Netherlands, and Ukraine. Uh, tier five, I would say uh, Austria, the Scottish Premier League. I think the Polish League is about there as well. Um, yeah, I think that would be it. So that would be my five tiers. Four in tier one, five in tier two, four in tier three. Three in tier four and three in tier five. And I'm sure there's others that you could think of to go into different ones. But that's how I'd sort of look at leagues that I would pay attention to. Now, not necessarily watching Polish football, uh, not anymore anyway, or Ukrainian football. I used to watch quite a bit of Ukrainian football when that Shakhtar team were incredible. Um, but that's kind of where I, I fall with those right now. Um Luke M, question for the show. How do you rate our Liverpool's current situation in terms of squad ageing and lack of investment? Is it time to sound the alarms that we're rushing headlong into a situation where all our seasoned professionals are either on the wane or in decline or will be in decline before long and we're not seeing replacements? Is it time to worry that Jurgen Klopp might leave in two years and we still have James Milner on the books. Yeah, okay. Um, it does concern me. It does concern me. So, 
if you look at the Liverpool squad, Alisson, Liverpool has sorted with the goalkeeper for a number of years. Cuevin Kelleher has established himself as the number two. My concern with Kelleher is, can he continue to develop playing as little as he gets to play? Or does he need to go on loan? And if he does need to go on loan, is it just a simple thing that Pitaluga becomes the number two or Yaros becomes the number two? Now, maybe that's the case. You send Kelleher on loan for a season or two, bring him back and just carry on there. But the goalkeeping situation is, is fairly okay. Right back, you've got Trent. You desperately need cover for him. James Milner is not acceptable as a right back in 2022. So you've got to be going and buying a backup right back. Now, people always say, oh, you can't buy a backup right back when you've got Trent because they'll never become first team player. You're not looking for someone that can become a first team player for you. What you want to do is buy someone that you know has the potential to become a first team player for Premier League teams ranked 7 to 15. So that's why I'd say someone like a Jaden Bogle would be an interesting signing for Liverpool. Bring him in, develop him for two to three years, play him in the Cups, play him in league games where Trent needs a rest, play him in dead rubbers in the Champions League. Two to three years of development. You sell him at a, at a hefty profit. So say you buy him for 10 you could sell them at 18 to 20. You take that money, you take 10 of it, you go and you buy your next right back. You take the rest of it, you go and you put that towards other things. Same thing at left back. You look at Costa Simicus, he's been brought in to develop and sell. If Liverpool get a good offer in the region of 20 million from this summer, I think he'll be sold and they'll just look to bring in another left back. In certain positions, that's just what you do. You maintain your squad, you develop players, and you make yourself self-sufficient. So they need a right-back. Centre-back, Virgil, Canate, Gomez, Matip. That's fine. I would like a better fifth centre-back than Nat Phillips. I'd like someone young that you can develop. You know, someone that 19, 20 age range. I would have kept Quebec. I think he's 21, but I would have kept him. Um, but it's fine. I still think you need to, to buy there. Midfield is where there's issues. Henson's 31 and not very good. Milner's 36 and poor. Thiago's 30. He's brilliant, but he's injury prone. Fabinho's 27, 28. He's had some injury issues. Harvey Elliott's 19 and he's out with a broken ankle. So you've got, you know, one group of 30 plus, one group of, you know, 19, 21, Harvey and Curtis Jones. And then the two in-between ones are Ox and Keita, neither of whom can stay fit, neither of whom have shown consistency, neither of whom Klopp really seems to trust. For me, the midfield needs to be overhauled. Now, going into this summer, I would be looking at at least one starter, no, one starter to go with Fabinho and Thiago. Then you've got Elliot as the backup on the right side of the eight roll, I think a backup holding midfielder who can fill in for Fabinho and a backup left-sided six who can fill in for Thiago, basically a Ginny Wijnaldum, somebody who can come in, play a bunch of different roles and always give you a consistent seven out of ten. Then you've got Henderson and Jones, that rounds out the eight. So you've still got a strong midfield group. So I think Liverpool need three in midfield. 
In attack, Salah, that's fine. I think Firmino's a backup for me. Firmino should only be a backup moving forward. Jota's good enough to start, but I do prefer him in a squad role. I love him as an option off the bench. I think he's brilliant. So I I would prefer to have Jota in a backup role. And Mane, I think it's time to move on from. Now, Mane maybe could play as the starting nine. Maybe that's an option. Um, but I think they need to bring in at least one, if not two, starters in the front three. Definitely someone on the left, maybe also someone in the middle. So if you had Salah plus two, and then, say, Cade, Gordon, Firmino, and Jota as the backup three, I think that would be strong. Sell Origi, sell Minamino, sell Mane. I do think Liverpool have quite a lot to do. And my worry is that, number one, I don't think the club will back the manager. Number two, I'm not sure the manager's always ambitious enough or forceful enough to demand what he needs. I think he also gets attached to players, which is not a bad thing, but I do worry a bit about Liverpool post-Klopp because I'm not sure he's going to leave the best squad behind in terms of age profile. Not on purpose, but, you know, largely because he's not getting the backing. But yeah, it does worry me. ANK2889 came across this the other day, titled Ballon d'Or winners, if not for Cristiano or Messi. What are your thoughts on the supposed winners? I love Iniesta and the Spanish team. From 08 to 2011, it's probably the best national team I'll see, but 2010 belonged to Schneider, in my opinion. Okay, so this is uh, 08-09, so 07-08, Fernando Torres. Um, I think Steven Gerrard. I think Gerrard probably pips Torres that year. Now, I know Torres went on and, and won the Euros that year, but I think Gerrard was better. 09 Xavi, no problem. 2010 should have been Iniesta. Oh no, sorry. 2010 should have been Schneider, regardless of anybody else. It should have been Schneider. 2011 Xavi, uh, you could go Xavi, you could go Iniesta. 2000, I, I would go Iniesta, and 2012 I would have gone Busquets. So I think 09 Xavi, 11 Iniesta, and 12 Busquets would be the way to go there. 2013, Frank Ribery. Don't have a problem with that. 2014, Manuel Naur. I'm not sure. I think it's near impossible for a goalkeeper to win the Ballon d'Or. 2015, Neymar. No, Luis Suarez. Not even close. Luis Suarez. 2016, Antoine Griezmann. Yeah, to be fair, he was great for Atleti. France won the World Cup. No, France got to the final of the Euros that year. France got to the final of the Euros. I think that's fair enough. Uh, Neymar in 2017, I'm okay with. Modric in 2018. Van Dijk in 2019. So this basically is if you take Cristiano and, um, and Messi out of the running. So obviously one of them was first. 
and most years the other was second. But I, I think you go Gerard, Xavi, Schneider, Iniesta, Busquets, Ribery. Twenty fourteen is tough, but I don't think it, I don't think now. Or to be honest, now I know Bayern had that incredible season, but still, uh, Suarez definitely in fifteen, a hundred percent Suarez, Griezmann. Neymar, Modric, and Virgil. I'm okay with the rest of them. Uh, bonus question. I play FIFA a lot, and I swear every game has certain players locked to a certain team in career mode. This current FIFA for me, Koke always signs for Liverpool if I'm not using them. How successful would Koke be at Liverpool? Would he fit the system? If he would let, if he would work, let's say, Barca continue to, to dig themselves a deeper money hole and decide to offer us £40 million plus Busquets for uh, Fab, would you take an ageing midfield three of Busquets, Koke and Thiago? Uh, no, not now. I wouldn't take I wouldn't take anything for Fab. I, Fab is better than Busquets in, in this day and age. Busquets is still incredibly good, but he does have games where his age just catches up with him. He's still brilliant on the ball, but he doesn't have the mobility he had at his peak. I still think he's one of the two best ever to play that holding midfield role. But no, not for me. Uh, I think that midfield would be too slow to play in the Premier League. Koke, if he'd moved to England four years ago, could have been perfect for Klopp. Uh, not now. Not now. He's also slowed down. KOR99, question for the pod. Who are five favourite Liverpool players of all time? Uh, Suarez, Mascherano, Fowler, Gerrard and Barnes. Uh, I'm too too young really to have seen Sunes. You know, I've only seen uh, tapes of Sunes at Liverpool, so he, he that he would be my top five otherwise. But I've gone on players that I've seen with my own eyes and in person. That would be my five. Um, the Langstar. Um, my dream scenario is for Eamon Dunphy to be hired by Sky Sports to join Gary and the lads on the weekly panels, how do you think the British public and the like of Nev and, Car- Nev and Cara would react to his style? I don't think they'd like it. I don't think they'd like it. British people are a bit more polite than Irish people. And Dunphy's brand of truth at all costs has bitten them in the backside here a couple of times I think he'd probably last about three weeks and that'd be the end of him. Uh, He's also, you know, been known to turn up a little bit worse for wear. Uh, He's also been known to swear uh, on national television. So those two things wouldn't work out. But I I love Dunphy. I I would listen to him and Dunphy talk all day. I I just think he's brilliant. He just says what he thinks. He doesn't care what you think. So I love him. Um... Armand, there's a lot of talk about who we might sign as the Firmino replacement next season. In your eyes, what do you think are the most important qualities for that player to have to play the role effectively? And who are some of the players you think might be good there? It just depends on what Klopp wants. Does he want another Firmino? Does he want an out-and-out nine? Does he want someone who's a little bit in between? I mean, the two for me, I mean, look, there's this. There's a few that are on everybody's lips. There's Vlahovic. He's been mentioned a lot. I think everybody would love Haaland. But stylistically, they're weird fits at Liverpool. But we'd take them. We'd take them and we'd move. 
the ones I think fit Alexander Isak. Now, obviously, there's a, a big price tag on him. But the difference between him and Vlahovic, as opposed to a Haaland, where the fee might be similar, is that their weekly wage would probably be 100 to 150 grand a week. Haaland wants 500 grand a week. So say the fee is the same. Say you're paying 75 million for any of the three. Well, if the wage is 100 grand a week, that's 5 million a year. So a five-year contract is 25 million. You're talking about 100 million pound commitment for Vlahovic or Isak. With Haaland, you're talking 25 million a year in wages. So his contract is 125 million. So you're talking about a 200 million pound commitment. So that's why I could see us doing a deal for someone like Isak, because the wages will be less. Isak would be one of my shortlisted three. Darwin Nunes would be another. I, I, I think he's a tremendous player. I think he's got everything you want in a, a modern-day number nine. I think he's got the potential to be a really well-rounded player who could not only score you a lot of goals, but create a lot of goals for others. And my third one is, is Ivan Tony. Now, if you've watched Brentford play this season, yes, he's only got two open play goals. Yes, you would like him to score more. But look at his creative numbers and look at the chances he's created for other people this year. Brian Mbomo owes Ivan Tony an apology because he should have eight goals this season just from Tony assists. He's missed a whole bunch of sitters. So any of those three would work for me. Tony is an out-and-out -out nine who's also got similar attributes to Bobby. If you look at any statistical comparisons between Ivan Tony and, like, look for a player comp, his closest player comp is Raul Jimenez. The other person whose closest player comp in the Premier League to, is Raul Jimenez is Bobby Firmino. So I do think there's similar skill sets there. Tony is more of a nine. Bobby obviously came to Liverpool as a 10. But I do think Tony could do a lot of the job. I I'd take any of the three. Um, Owen Hurley, questions for the pod. With Edwards leaving in the summer and no Klopp on the sidelines the other day, it dawned on me that him leaving in the next couple of years is a very real and unnerving prospect. What do you think the club should do? Reintroduce a boot room style promotion with Pep Linders and so behind the scenes or clean house and go again with new blood. So I just want whoever's the best. It's that simple. Now I have concerns over Julian Ward. Nothing against him. I hope he does absolutely brilliantly. I'm sure he's very, very good at what he does. But is Julian Moore definitely the best person to replace Michael Edwards? Is he, without question, the best available option? Or was there someone else out there at a different club who would have been better? I don't know that the answer to that. It may well be that Liverpool have done the due diligence, that they've looked around and not found a more 
suitable candidate than Julian. And if that's the case, then that's fine. But when it comes to Klopp, I, I like if you're being realistic, there's only a couple of managers that could take over from Klopp and the standards wouldn't drop. One would be Diego Simeone. One would be Antonio Conte. I mean, Guardiola's out of reach. But those two would be in that group. Thomas Tuchel would be another. He'll be sacked by Chelsea by then. So he could be an option. Um, Ruben Ammerman Amer- is one that fascinates me. He's done brilliant work at, at Sporting since joining. Um, he's someone I'm really interested in watching for the next kind of 18 months and seeing how he does. I think Klopp will extend and stay a couple more years. The more I think about it, the more I think Klopp will stay a bit, a bit longer. Um, but I, I want whoever's the best. It could be Hansi Flick. He's someone I think that would make a lot of sense for Liverpool. And he's someone that will probably work two international cycles with the Germans through the next World Cup, through the next Euros, maybe to the following World Cup 2026. If Klopp was to do a three-year extension, that could work perfectly. Klopp leaves, Flick takes over. Maybe Klopp takes a German job at that point. He says he wants to take a bit of a break. International football is a bit of a break. So I think that's fine. I think Klopp will extend, but Simeone, Conte, Tuchel, Flick, Amaran. That's my shortlist right now. Um, I know Liverpool and Arsenal always had a rivalry, but I thought it was always a respectable, you're a good club, we're a good club kind of rivalry. Which it was. That's what it's always been. But with the 4 of this furore, it's a word I'm not it's a word I can't pronounce. This week over the Caribou Cup, I can't help but feel their fans are Evertonizing, like another formal, res- former respectable rival. Even the times from the last title win to when their fans started drinking top shelf beer. Um, right. I thought it was just a few headbangers on YouTube. It was a few headbangers on YouTube, but unfortunately. That mindset from AFTV really... Now, I don't have any problem with AFTV. None at all. I think a lot of it is fake. I think the fella that went to America is a spoofer. I think he's far too full of his own importance. I don't know why anyone would listen to him because the guy chats absolute bubbles. He doesn't know the first thing about football. So... I don't know, but I don't have a problem with Arsenal fan TV and what they did and what they were doing. But a lot of younger, impressionable fans buy into that kind of stuff. Like, there's there's a version of that with most clubs. The temper tantrum culture of football fan. And they're largely what you see on social media. Now, with the Arsenal thing, it's also a couple of others like there's somebody that used to be part of the EPL Roundtable podcast many, many years ago. Uh, he was the original Arsenal guy. And one day he sent an, uh, an email, and I've seen the email, where he said, not going to be able to be part of the pod anymore, going for a brand change with my Twitter. 
This guy used to go on the EPL roundtable, be very, very nice, be complimentary about all other clubs. I know for a fact he's married to a Spurs fan. And yet, overnight, his whole personality online changed. And he became a complete arsehole. And he just started gobbing off about every other club. So you do get some of that. You get a lot of it is for attention, for likes, for clicks, whatever. A lot of it is kids who've just fallen in line with, you know, with what Robbie and DT and, and that do. But part of it is probably driven by the fact that they thought their club were going to be great for a long time. They started to drift when they got the new stadium. Like, when they got the new stadium, they were like, we're going to compete with the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids of this world, and they haven't competed with anybody since. They haven't won a league title since 04. They're no closer now than they were 10 years ago. Their manager's a spoofer. They've got holes throughout the team. There's no leadership there. They know deep down this team is not what they make it out to be publicly. They just won't accept, won't admit publicly that this team is massively flawed. It's a Fugazi team. So I think it, it is it is that. It is, it's the lack of success. It's the influence of tantrum culture. It's a want for likes and retweets, a thirst for those type of things. We have them in the Liverpool fan base. They're in the Spurs fan base. The United fan base, they've got a couple of them. Um, we, we all remember how popular that Andy Tate fella got for a, a couple of quick clips that he did. You know, that type of thing gets popular and people fall in line with it. And it is just the modern age of the football fan, unfortunately. Right, that is going to do me for today, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.